Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First. So glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, growing up, I, uh, one of the things I was kind of known for was my backpack. And um, starting about junior high, I, I got a, a black pap- backpack a lot like this and, and carried it with me all the time. It lasted about 15 years. Didn't make, unfortunately, the move this past year. It was kind of falling apart, but it went with me all, all over the place, uh, Poland, Africa, cra- crazy things. And it was just a, a trusty companion on the way. Uh, but one of the things about me and backpacks is I just always overstuff them with, with, with things. I, you know, I don't know why that is, but I, you know, w- w- when you're packing something, it's like, okay, I'm going to put the things I know I'm going to need. So, you, you know, wh- wherever you're going, whatever tasks, okay, I'm going to put the things I need. And then, and then you kind of, in, in, in the backpack, you, you're going to, okay, well, what about the things I might need? And that's I mean, that's really where it, get, it gets you. Like, as maybe it's, I was a Boy Scout, and so the, the, the motto is be prepared. And it's like, well, I got to be prepared for anything, you know, zombie apocalypse or, or whatever. And so I'm just going to keep shoving things in my, in my backpack. And, and, and then I just would carry it everywhere. And I'd just be known to, to carry it everywhere in my life. And I, I still, this is a new backpack, but it's a still the same kind of thing. And you might be thinking, well, Sam, you might have a little bit of a, of a packing problem. And, and you would be right. You can ask my wife. Uh, that's also true of our duffel bags when we, we go on trips. Um, but, but don't we all do the same thing when it comes to life? That, you know, we, we've got our bags and then we, we start filling them with, with things like our hobbies and the fun things we enjoy doing. And, and then our time with family and friends and, and then, you know, work. Can't forget about work. And, and then you have, you know, st- like, oh, money, financial kinds of, of things and, and, and whatever else is going on, it just starts filling up and getting just a little bit heavier. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice little heft. It's like, okay, yeah, life is f- full. My life is full. It's, it's, it's nice. But then we don't plan for the things in life, the burdens that, that we encounter on the road, the, a lot of times the bad things, the, the suffering that we might face on the way and life becomes heavy and the thing about most of us is that we at least initially are like oh, I, I can I can carry this on my own for whatever reason we just seem to be wired that way I can I can carry the weight of life on my own maybe that's we're too prideful or too ashamed to ask for help because we see others who, you know, hey, well, they got it worse than us or, or whatever excuse we might put out there. But the lie that we oftentimes believe is that my weight is mine to carry alone. How do we learn to carry this weight well? We see this playing out in larger society. Some of the things that we maybe start facing when we try and carry life alone. The percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends or confidants has quadrupled since 1990. Two out of five people say they have no close friends or confidants. And that's, that's pretty heavy. Over half of Americans feel like no one knows them, sometimes or all the time. There's no one knows them intimately. There's no one knows me. I'm not, I'm not really known by anyone. Oh, man, it's heavy. We, as 
Our country as a people, we're chronically lonely. 35% of people are chronically lonely. That's doubled in the last 40 years. I don't know if you've heard, but Japanese and, and the government of the UK have both appointed loneliness ministers. Which seems kind of weird, but it's a crisis. And we start to just like fill our packs of life up with these things, these burdens, and we think we can do it alone. And then trying to do it alone just adds more weight to our lives. And so this morning, I want us to ask the question, is there a better way? Is there a better way? We, we intuitively know that community matters. Coming out of COVID, the isolation that, that many of us faced, studies have, have also shown that, yeah, okay, this is something we need. And the thing is that, that doing things alone, loneliness is, is killing us. Harvard put out a study that it's more dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It has a greater impact on your lifespan than obesity. It's tied to heart disease, dementia, anxiety, and depression. Going it alone, the crippling nature, the weight of loneliness is unbearable. But we're not meant for that. The reality is that we are designed for relationship, and that's what we're talking about this morning as we just continue in this series that we started last week called Commit. And the two kind of pillars of commitment we want to dive into this morning are connection and community. And so if you want to turn with me to Matthew 4, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 4. If that sounds familiar, you were here last week, it's because it's the exact same text. We're going to be starting in verse 18 in just a second. What we saw, this is the calling of the disciples that Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And we see these disciples leave their nets to follow Jesus. And we talked about what it means to, to, to lay aside the things in our lives that may be those nets we need to set aside and commit our, instead our lives to Jesus like these dis- disciples. And so we hope that if you were here last week, that you've been praying, maybe even uh, diving into this fasting, seeking God's will. We're doing 21 days of this to just think, God, what would you have me commit to this year? But we dive back into that passage This morning, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. But we read on, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So something I want us to to, to sit with, to notice that we probably don't even think about when we normally would read this this passage is is this. He calls two of them to follow him, and then they walk a little further and call two more to follow them. And, And we miss it because it's implied, but Jesus doesn't call a disciple singular, but he calls disciples plural. You see, to follow Jesus as his disciple is to follow Jesus in a community of others, a community of disciples. And that for the the following years leading up to his death, 
He had a family, a community that walked alongside him, that part of following Jesus was not just me individually in my heart following Jesus, but in the community of others, us together following Jesus. He had the 12 disciples, the three that he was closest to, the one who was beloved. He had the 72 closer followers who would be around more often than the crowds. He lived constantly in this thing we're calling this morning kingdom community. See, Jesus knew the power of kingdom community. This is how we're going to define that this morning. The people of Jesus living out the purposes of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The people of Jesus, the purposes of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. This was the way in which Jesus and his disciples walked uh, across the, 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 the landscape of their world together as a community. This wasn't just the case for Jesus. The early church was also always in community. Uh, Paul, we, we sometimes think of Paul as this lone ranger, but he always had people with him on the journey. And he was traveling from community to community, kingdom community to, to kingdom community. And, and then once, if, if there was an area that did not have a community, he created one. So these places of belonging, these kingdom communities are, are part of of the New Testament story, but also even throughout the Old Testament, God has always worked through a people, through a a group of people. We see this through the the nation, as big as the nation of Israel, but even families of of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the the, the families, the, the groups of people who God, his purposes are accomplished in and through. And God has not stopped doing this same thing in communities in the last 2,000 years, all the way up to this community that we collectively call first. He's always had a community in which he's drawing the world to himself. We can't follow Jesus alone. But as we've seen, culture doesn't seem to know how to practice this community. Even we as Christians struggle. We pull away from this kind of community. We don't know how to model it as Jesus did. And so what are some of the reasons we avoid community? What are some of the enemies of community? Here are three. The first one is isolation. Isolation. Again, Jesus is calling not individuals to go off on their individual journeys, but individuals into a larger community that then accomplishes his will. To be a disciple is to be with others, seemingly all the time. However, we could go back even further to the very beginning in Genesis 1 when, when God says, let us make mankind in, in our image. Let us make mankind. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the divine community of God, a a crazy, beautiful mystery, but community creating people who are made for community. Genesis 2, later on, God has created Adam and he says it is not good for man to be alone. Adam was in, in the garden. Everything else he had said was good, but, but it was not good that he was alone and He was even walking with God. He was in the presence of God and there was something missing and it was this community that came to fruition through the presence of Eve walking alongside Adam. And so when we forget this reality that we are made by community for community, isolation, we allow ourselves to walk in that way, it it starts to cause destruction in our 
lives. Even Eve was pulled aside by Satan to be tempted. David, whenever he, he, he chose not to go with his men off to war as he was supposed to do, and he stayed home alone, that he was tempted and committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then we look at someone like the prophet Elijah, who, who is, is fighting the prophets of Baal, almost a thousand. We see him having victory over them. That, that Yahweh God has, 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 is victorious over the, these prophets. And Elijah is kind of on a high. And then the, the, the evil queen Je- Jezebel says, hey, you know, I, I'm going to kill you. And so he runs away to a bunch of caves. He leaves his servant. He goes and isolates himself. And his prayer is, Lord, would you just kill me right now? Isolation. We're not meant for it. This is true of our sins and struggles, that when we isolate ourselves, we we know the ways that we fall short, but when we take those things and we go off on our own, they become that much more powerful and destructive in our lives. I know that's been true of me in my life. Isolation is dangerous physically, mentally, and spiritually. And we truly are at a disadvantage. The the water in which we swim from from the day we're born is is a culture that is is individualistic. Historians, some have said that, that America is the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. And so when we go about our life, we are pushing against the grain when we try and think of others first. The Jewish culture, however, Jesus' culture was a communal culture, prioritizes the group, the community first, and the individual second. It had an easier journey to thinking of others first. And I don't want to idealize, that's going to be actually the next one, I don't want to idealize community by saying, oh, they, they had it all good and right, that they knew that putting community first, that's the way to go. But I do think that maybe God chose a communal culture in the Jewish people, and maybe he chose to incarnate himself in, in a man in a communal culture, because there's something there that we can learn from. There's something intrinsic to the way his kingdom comes in community and not in isolation. In uh, 1940, uh, there was something in, in, in Britain called the London Blitz, and it was 57 days of bombardment by the Nazis in World War II, and uh, over the course, it was, just, it was devastating uh, to, to, to the area, to physically, to the rubble, this, a crazy period of time, and you would kind of expect lots of, 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 of of, of sadness and anxiety and depression and, and just like, uh, oh no, this is the end. But, but what studies found after that, those 57 days was that because of the tight-knit community that they were hunkering down together in these, these places, that, that all of these things, anxiety, depression, they all uh, tanked, they all dipped significantly. They were actually healthier in, as they were being bombed by the Nazis in these little holes because they were with one another in community. We're made to be in relationship. We also need to look out for the enemy, though I, I kind of teased it a second ago, of, of, of idealism. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with Christians, especially you know, wanting to get into some kind of group or, or, or study or something, and they have all these, these wonderful, brilliant ideas for what they think it should be. And not all of those are bad. But over time, 
they bring these things and they judge these communities based on their expectations and eventually they burn out and they, they, they leave like, okay, this is not for me. I'm just disappointed. This is not what I expected. This is actually hard. You know, I don't get along with it, whatever it is. And I have that in me too. I'm not just pointing fingers. But we tend to idealize this thing called community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor during World War II in Germany, says this, that every human wish dream, he calls these, these, these visions wish dreams, that is injected into Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of that community, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. It's from his book, Life Together. And every time I read that paragraph, it just hits me because I tend to be an idealist and I always want community to be, here's what it could be and it's not that I'm not satisfied and then I, it's easy to tap out. In other words, if if we come to our communities, these, these groups, even families, we can do this with any group of people. We come to them with a posture of pride, demanding and dictating this is how things should be rather than coming with an attitude of humility and, and gratitude and openness to how, what is God going to teach me through these people? That community will fail if we have that posture and not a posture of openness and gratitude. And of course, we should have high expectations. Jesus has high expectations for us in community, but we need to be careful not to, to put community on a pedestal that, that no one can ever get up there. You see, reality is messy. Why? Because of, of sin. We, we should not expect messiness to not be present in community. I think the best way to understand this is actually just to talk about family. You see, Jesus, for his community of apprentices, um, they were his family. He, he says this literally in Matthew 12. He says, uh, someone asked him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he says, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He points to his disciples and says, these are my family. These are my family. Family is a dominant metaphor for Christian community throughout the New Testament. You know, we think of, of father, father and mother relationships probably as like the dominant, or maybe spousal relationships as the dominant. In the, in the ancient world, brother and sister relationships were the priority in that culture. And so when Jesus says, these are my brothers and my sisters, when he calls us friends, he is saying something radical. We're baptized into this family, this community of messy people, these followers of, of Jesus. How many of you have a perfect family? None of us have a perfect family. And so to expect our, our communities to, to, to be perfect is the same temptation and stumbling block that we'll encounter when we talk about Christian community. And we want to remember and take note that Jesus' community, his, his disciples, he had the guy, he washed the feet of the man who would betray him later that night. He had, he had a, a zealot and a tax collector who were the, the, the harshest of enemies who literally would kill, the zealots would go around killing tax collectors. 
And so this community was not an idealistic community. It had anger and frustration and, and, and trying to see who was the best. And, and this is the community that Jesus was working with. And this is the community we should expect. We cannot idealize community. It's beautiful, hard, and messy, but it's worth it in the end. Which brings us to the third kind of enemy of community, and that's just intimidation. And it, that we are just intimidated. We are scared of it. That somewhere in us we do not. What did Adam and Eve do whenever they sinned? They, they, they wouldn't hid. That our tendency as human beings is to go and, and hide, to, to run, that we are scared of being seen, which is what community really is, is, is to, to know and be known, to see and be seen. We're scared of it. We don't want to mess with the mess of others. We maybe, maybe rarely, we just don't want to change. But many of us, we have these masks and we're terrified of coming into genuine community and taking those masks off and for someone seeing us for who we truly are. Risking their reaction. How will they handle this? But we're more tempted to just come into the rooms like this and sit and listen and then on the way out say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Life's good. When really our life is falling apart. So I want to ask you this morning, what scares you? What intimidates you about community, about living life with others? What is it that, that you in particular are afraid of? What is holding you back from entering into? Vulnerability. Honesty is the, we want that. We, we want to see that in others, but we're terrified of giving in ourselves. The church is not a place where perfect people gather, but where broken people are made whole. Amen? I'm going to say it again. The church is not where perfect people gather, but where broken people are made whole. We can only be restored from our brokenness when we stop pretending living in a reality that is unreality and come over and say, hey, this is what's true of my life in all of its sin and messiness until we bring our true selves before God and before others. We don't experience healing. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We oftentimes talk about confession as, oh, I'm just going to confess my sins to God. And that is step one. But confession is realized in community when you can say, this is my brokenness, and instead of judgment, you receive grace from others. The word salvation in Greek, we often think of salvation being, oh, savior, and be, to be saved, but it also means to be healed. And God in his wisdom and grace and love has made community one of the primary places where we experience salvation, we experience healing in community because that is who he is and who he calls us to be and who he created us for, to be together. The invitation of Jesus is, is with his help and the help of our community to bring all of our pain, all of our brokenness, all of our sin to the surface so that we can be healed, to, to grow, to be transformed, to become people of love. As scary as community is, as intimidated as we might be, community is Jesus' school of love. And to live in community, we have to be willing to commit, to lean in, to say, I'm going to have courage and to commit to community. 
But what does that, what might that community, that commitment look like in our lives? You know, Jesus called his disciples to follow him. They set aside the comfort of their nets, the things that they were used to, and, and they took on a different kind of weight. But they still carried some of the weight of their lives and their previous lives. Judas carried with him the weight of greed. Peter, the weight of impatience. John and James, the struggle for, for power and prestige, wanting to be at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And yet Jesus never says, hey, you're not good enough for this community. He, he, he accepts those things, warts and all, and, and he, he works with them as we would experience in any true community. We're not meant to walk through life going. We need to be willing to, to commit. But what do we do with the weight that, that we carry with us? This is where the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11, he says this to his community of disciples. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. He says, bring your burdens to me. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is just his way of life, his teaching. And his way of life was, was in that community to love God and to love others. He wants us to give him the weight that we carry and to allow others to carry it with us. Jesus, you see, Jesus commands us to bear life together, to bear life together. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament commands, some examples to love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, live in harmony with one another, stop passing judgment on one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, forgive one another, and the list goes on. 59 of these. It'd be a great study for you to just read through and underline or circle all of the ones you, you find. So no matter the weight that we carry, it's always lighter with, with another. We have to learn to, to embody these, these one another's in community. And, and a lot of these are, are not easy. They're putting up with one another, bearing the faults of another. In order to master these things, we, we need to see that we need two things. The community requires both vulnerability and accountability. Vulnerability and accountability. Paul in Galatians 6 verses 1 and 2 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The first, vulnerability. We cannot carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ if we do not know what they are. We already talked briefly about confession and the importance of just naming what is true and untrue in our lives. But we have to name that in the presence of others, being vulnerable. And that's scary. We have to be real with the weight that we carry. Vulnerability is ultimately risk. It's the Latin version of it actually comes, the, the root word is the same as courage. Courage and vulnerability are tied together because as we open up about what is real in our lives 
It is a courageous act where someone could judge us and could push us away and could misunderstand us. And, and we don't want that. That's painful. But it is through vulnerability that our, our greatest intimacy will come with, with God and with others. The community, kingdom community requires vulnerability. And so the question is, will our communities be marked by the fear of judgment or the joy of grace? The fear of judgment or the joy of grace. Which leads us to the second aspect, vulnerability, but also accountability. That brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. David Brooks says that community is love-drenched accountability. That we bring our fears, our brokenness, our vulnerability. We're honest about what is true in our lives. And and in the presence of others, we are accepted and loved and forgiven. And that grace is extended. But we, we are also prompted and spurred on and encouraged in the direction of wholeness away from, from the way of, of death and destruction and toward the, the way of life. And we need others to help us because we're not God and we, we can't see everything and we lie to ourselves a lot. And so we need other people. Uh, the, it's one of the scariest things in the world to, to be in true community because you have people who know you and you cannot fake and you cannot lie. But it's beautiful and it's transformative and that's exactly what we're called to. It must be helpful accountability, not full of judgment, but grace, full of gentleness and love. So a few things the community will, will not look like. Th- three things. It's, it won't look like just connection. We live in a connected age where we're connected to everyone on social media and on, online and whatever else. But it's, it's not where we just pick up our bags and we just hang out. Hey, look at my bag. My bag's so cool. Look at, oh, your bag's pretty great too. You know, and just we're just hanging out with our bags. It's not just connection. It's more than that. It's, it's also not just pure chemistry. Like we might hit it off with a group of people. And it's like, this is amazing. You know, they have all the same things. Uh, they love watching the same shows as me and doing the same things. And, and it's that you just, the chemistry is there, but it's not pure chemistry. In fact, some of the most transformative relationships will be with people you have no chemistry with. Because you actually have to learn to love someone who's not like yourself. The last thing, it's, it's not dumping our baggage and our responsibility. It's not saying, hey, here's all this. It's not just dumping. And this is, again, if you just are vulnerable all the time, you're just dumping on everyone. And that's all you're ever doing. So, I got, okay, thank you. Thank you for just taking all my burden. I'm going to go get more burden and then give, give it to you. Like, it's not dumping that. It's being responsible. It's being held accountable. One of the best examples uh, to point to of, of a healthy community, uh, for those of you who've ever been a part of one, or, or you know, see, uh, in, in our movies kind of do justice a little bit, but, but Alcoholics Anonymous, AA meetings, recovery communities of inter- any kind. I've been a part of one for a while now. And, and, and the honesty and the vulnerability that is present in a community of people who know that they are broken, who know that they are addicted, they have been addicted, and if they are not careful, they will continue being addicted and it will lead to death in their life. So they, they cannot help but confess and be honest and authentic. Why is it that, that so many people would, would say that, that AA looks more like kingdom community than, than the church gatherings. Some would say that. And I think they would be right sometimes. 
Most times, maybe. Think of the confession of sin, but the acceptance. It's not shallow conversation. It's not just shooting the breeze. It is naming these deep realities under the surface that are, are challenging and, and uproot, and they're not comfortable. In communities like that, of recovery. Think of the trust that's built, the support, the encouragement. It's not just hanging out casually, but it is doing the work of love together. You know, we may not be all alcoholics, but we all are recovering sinners. So are we going to have a recovery community around the table of Jesus Christ? Maybe that looks like for you a, a small group or a Bible study or, or a class or cohort or just having a meal around the table. I don't know what that looks like for you. That's what we're going to discern in the series. And maybe you need just one more gut punch, one more big why. Why should I care about this? Why should I get into community? Because community is the most transformative thing in the world. Earlier, I quoted a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We're going to have a, his lovely mug on the screen right here. And he was a pastor. He was a German pastor during World War II. And, and I want to tell you just a little bit about him. During the rise of the Third Reich, the, the Nazis and Hitler were, 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 were capturing all of the Christian communities and just getting them to compromise and attach themselves to this nationalistic identity that was Nazi Germany. But a few disciples pushed back. It was known as the Confessing Church. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was among some of these pastors who lived differently, radically in the face of pure evil. And in 1935, he was led to create an, an alternative community. He said, I just feel on my heart that we need to be living differently and we need to be training people, training disciples to, to live differently. And so he founded a seminary uh, based on the teaching of, of the Sermon on the Mount in the rural town of, of Finkenwald, Finkenwald, Germany. And they, they, he gathered a bunch of people and they lived here in deep community in certain rhythms throughout the day, prayer, confession, accountability, joy, s service in preparation to face the monster that was growing in the Nazis. And one of his friends, Wilhelm Niesel, he was like, okay, Dietrich, you're, you're kind of going off the rails a bit. This is a little extreme. Like, I don't think it's really that bad. Why are you, why are you starting this whole community and devoting your entire life to this, this thing? And, and so he visits Finkenwald and, and Bonhoeffer, uh, they go on this little trip and this, they, they canoe out across the sound and they get across and, and they're in silence. He's like, I, yeah, just, just wait. I've got an answer for you. And, and he, they w get out of the boats and they walk up the hill and at the top of the hill, you know, on the right is they look back and they see the Finkenwald. They see this, the seminary, the community of Jesus that he had created. And then you look on the other side of the hill and it was a Nazi training camp a military training camp where they would train all of their soldiers before they go off to war. And he looked at his friend and he said, pointing at the seminary, this must be stronger than that. That this community of Jesus must be strong enough to, to shake the foundations of evil like the Nazis. 
Bonhoeffer would go on and eventually the Nazis would shut down this community and, and he would go on to become a martyr. He would die for his faith. But I think that he, he was right. We, we don't just go into community because we want someone to bear our burdens, although that's part of it, but we get into community because we are pushing back against the forces of darkness in this world. This is the way we, we, we fight spiritually together against sin and Satan, the enemies that we don't talk about. Community is, is, is how we, we, we ground ourselves with Jesus, with others in this way. Jesus left behind a community when he ascended, the Holy Spirit and community. That was his plan A. There is no plan B. We are his plan A. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask you, who is your community? What is your next step? What is your next step of commitment? You should have these commit cards. If you didn't go one last week, seat back in front of you and kind of just walk through some, some things that we, we want to just lay out like, hey, these are not, you don't have to do these things, but just some ideas of, of what it might look like to, to start the journey, to continue the journey from connection in, into community. And community does start with connection. So maybe maybe for you, if, if you're just new here, it's like, man, that's you, that was kind of compelling, but I'm not ready to jump into a group yet, and that's okay. So, so what are your next steps of connection? Just to get to know this community better, to figure out, am I going to, to go all in? Am I, gonna, am I willing to, to put all my nets aside and just go hard after Jesus in community? But maybe you need to get involved in a small group or a Bible study or these things we're launching called discipleship cohorts of, of three or four people. Just in intensive community, vulnerability, accountability before Jesus growing together. And maybe you're already in robust community and your invitation is just to go deeper and to invite others more deeply with you. I don't know what your next step is, but Jesus does. And so as we continue, we have, we have two weeks left, 14 days left if you started fasting. If you, if you missed last week, you can always hop in. There's to seek God's face for the, for the next 14 days, to ask him, where are you calling me deeper into, to connect with your people, to connect with your church, and to go deeper into kingdom community with you at the heart? Because no matter how hard it might be or in, intimidating, it is so much better than life alone. It is so much better carrying all, all of this alone. And it's fulfilling because we get to do the work of the kingdom together. So I want to ground this by moving into a time of communion. The center point for Jesus, community was not a stage or a sermon, a pulpit. It was the table. And they, they would gather around tables, the, the, the Lord's Supper, the upper room, and then all throughout the early church, around tables with, with these elements, and they would be eating together in community. So hopefully you grab some elements on, on the way, and if you didn't, there's some over there in the back you can grab. But, but we celebrate this every single week, and we, we practice this. We, we remember... What, what Jesus has done, that, 
the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is community, who made us for community, welcomes us to his kingdom table. And remember that, that Christ has came as a man, lived the perfect life, died for us, that we might experience salvation, be saved from sin, death, and, and Satan, be healed and invited into kingdom community with him. And so for the next few minutes, if you proclaim, if you, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my Master, my Rabbi, my Teacher, I invite you to take these elements as you feel led. And with the time that's going to be on the screen, just reflect, ask, Lord, would you reveal to me what my next steps of commitment might be in the areas of connection and community?